0: big thanks to Stephen and Rebecca for leading us. Um, we're going to read um, our gospel reading from the gospel of Mark and uh, it should come up on the screen and you can follow along. Um, I'm going to read it. It says this, in those days, this is Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 15, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him and a voice from heaven, you are my son, the beloved with you am I well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. May God add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of the word today. This uh, week began a new season in the church's calendar, the season of Lent began, an opportunity were 40 days for reflection upon the central meaning of our faith, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, and 40 days leading up to that is Lent, and we've begun that 40-day journey now, and of course at the center of that story, the good news of Jesus, his resurrection from the dead, um, and the beginning of Uh, The new world that God is remaking, uh, the redemption of this world, remaking it around an axis of love. And so the 40 days of Lent, they intersect this year in 2021 with our lives in a very unique way, a very distinct way. And I hope and trust in a meaningful way because Lent seems more unique, more relevant than ever as we grapple with the far-reaching impact of this Global pandemic that we've been living through, and it continues throughout the year. All of us are living with a sense of loss, whether we are aware of it or not, still disappointment, um, or even at best, um, I think all of us are a little bit fed up and a little bit bored, aren't we, of, of the banality of life a little bit at this moment in time. But some have faced much more grave issues. People have faced illness. Some have even lost loved ones. And it has has and continues to be a difficult time, a, a painful time, an uncertain time. On Wednesday night past, we held a short Ash Wednesday gathering online. And I was sharing how that Lent traditionally, as you will know, is that season when we give up things, when we abstain, when we practice abstinence. And yet I believe at the heart of Lent, particularly this Lenten season, for us there is a deep hope and grace in this season that I believe can be incredibly healing and helpful for us. I love these, these words, um, these simple words from the Archbishop of Canterbury this week, um, Justin Welby. He said, um, it feels as if Lent has lasted about a year since the last lockdown. We've gone without for so long. The last thing we feel like we need is abstinence. But Lent isn't about punishing ourselves. It's about drawing closer to Christ and allowing Him to share in our struggles. I thought those words were beautiful and true in their simplicity. Um, I believe Lent indeed can be a time of healing and hope for us, an opportunity to do what Justin Welby has said to draw close to Christ, to center again on Christ. Um, the center of all of our faith um, and to commune with Christ in the midst of our struggles and our fears and our emotions and our experiences and our realities, to find communion with Christ. The, the English word Lent, it actually means spring. It actually means uh, literally spring. And so I wonder perhaps if our prayer this Lenten season should be for life to spring forth in Us perhaps a slow spring, but surely a springing forth that God would meet us in the struggle, and we would allow the Spirit of God to carve open space within us to grieve, to grieve the season that we've been into, to repent, to refocus again on, on the sustainer of life, the one who is um, our everything. And so, as we journey with Christ during these 40 days towards his death we pray that we may find solidarity with Christ and that the ground of our hearts would be prepared for a springing forth of resurrection life of freedom of healing and of hope um, I think there's a couple of things we can do to help that there's a couple of resources I want to point your direction the first is this app called Lectio 365 um, to help us journey the 40 days of Lent. Um, You can open the app every day, download it from the App Store. Um, It's a daily devotional resource that will help you pray and meditate upon the scriptures every day. Great resource. And they've begun a new Lenten series called God on Mute. Um, And it's, um, it's really rich. So let me encourage you to get the app and to use that during these 40 days of Lent. The second resource is a book called The Unvarnished Jesus. Many of you, uh, some of you I know have this book. Um, I have it myself and I'm reading it. Um, so I really recommend that book. It again is 46, um, I think 46 different devotionals that are gonna take our, it'd be 40, 40 devotionals <laughs> for 40 days. And it's gonna take us through the whole season of Lent um, by Brian's, and so that's really, really helpful. Um, there actually are 46 days in Lent, by the way, so I'm not getting that mixed up, but there's 40, 40 days um, that we practice fasting, and every Sunday in Lent, in fact, traditionally the church uh, resorts to feasting again and, and takes a break from the fasting, so that's the six Sundays, that brings us the 46th. So I was on to something, I wasn't too confused, but those two, those two resources are really helpful. Um to help us journey through Lent. And the third thing, I guess, the other thing that we're going to do to help us journey through Lent is to begin a new teaching series, uh, which we do today, called Encounters with Jesus. Um, this is a Lenten journey on the road to Easter. And we're beginning that today with one particular event in Jesus' life, one incredible moment, one incredible event, one story with incredible meaning and significance, and that was Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We've just read from the Gospel of Mark, and you've seen um, just how fast-paced the Gospel of Mark is. Um, In six verses, we actually went from Jesus' baptism uh, right through to the temptation in the wilderness, And then on to the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he is out telling the good news of the kingdom. In six verses, Mark has covered a huge amount of ground. Remember, Mark was a traveling companion of the apostle Peter. And most likely, the gospel of Mark was written by Mark, but it was probably, in fact, the memoirs, the memories, the stories of Peter that Mark furiously wrote down And when you read the gospel of Mark, it's the first gospel to come, Um, even though it's second in our Bible, it's the very first gospel to be written. Um, And when you read it, you see that it's just so fast paced. And the big point of Mark is to get as fast as possible to Easter week, to what is called the passion of Jesus and his death. Um, but everything before that is just at breakneck speed. And so we've read those six verses and we've covered a huge amount of ground. But today we're going to focus in on the temptation of Jesus. And so I thought it would be good to go to another gospel and to read a little bit more in depth from the gospel of Matthew about the temptation experience of Jesus in the wilderness. We've been singing this morning about the wilderness and the desert um, And here we have Jesus in the wilderness. So let me read this from Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering, ministering to him. Last year, I watched um, a movie called The Joker. It's starring Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know if you've watched it um, it's uh, all about that infamous arch enemy of, of, of Batman in the comics, the Joker. Um, and aside from being um, just another movie um, about comic book characters, this one's a little bit unique in the sense that it explores the origin story of the, of the Joker. It explores the origin story of this incredible character. And how can a man unravel psychologically and break down to the point that they become such a terrifying agent of of evil. And the movie explores this, and it's not a movie for the faint of heart, um, but I do love these kind of stories, origin stories, and you see them lots of times on our cinema screens, um, featuring some of our favorite or most interesting characters, And I think the reason we love these stories, certainly the reason I love origin stories, is because my curiosity gets the better of me. And I want to know how these people uh, that we know so well in in these stories, what made them like that? How did they grow up and become these people? Um, I guess, in a sense, maybe we're looking for a morsel of wisdom or insight that might help us on our path. Or at least um, we are reminded that those who who seem special or unique or different, can indeed just start out much like you or like me, like ordinary people. In a sense, today's encounter with Jesus, his temptation in the wilderness, is an incredible and incredibly significant moment in the origin story of the man called Jesus. This would be one of the key moments if an origins movie of Jesus was being made, this encounter in the wilderness with the devil. Before this, um, as we read in Mark, um, Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And you'll remember in our epiphany series, we covered this. And uh, God the Father Uh, declared over the man Jesus, this is my son in whom I love and am well pleased. And the spirit descended on, on Jesus in the form of a light and a dove. And Jesus is confirmed both to himself and to those around him. Deep in his soul, he knew who he was. He was a son of God and he knew the mission that he was on. And John the Baptist had been proclaiming the kingdom of God is near because of this man, Jesus. He saw Jesus as one of the prophets, um, as the one that the prophets had spoken of who was coming to forgive the people from their sins and deliver them. He was the Messiah that the, the Jews had been promised. And yet no one had really known Jesus at this point. No teachings or miracles had been done at this point. But Jesus had been baptized and he was ready to go. Well, not quite yet. I know we covered some of those stories in our last series, but but we we skipped this important point and we're going to look at it uh, today and over the next few weeks because following Jesus' baptism as we've seen in Mark, Jesus comes to this checkpoint in his ministry, this moment on the road, that would ultimately, this road that would lead him to the cross. And he comes up to a checkpoint. He is to be scrutinized before he can pass through. He's arrived at a a frontier of his ministry. You might want to say the checkpoint between two different worlds, the world before Jesus has been revealed and the new world where Jesus is bringing God's new kingdom. And so this is where we find ourselves. Jesus is led into the wilderness into the Judean wilderness for 40 days of praying and fasting. And it's gonna help him as he begins his public ministry. And he's in this rugged, arid wilderness, fasting and praying and pushing himself to the limit. Why, we ask the question. He's, well, he's preparing to launch his work in his ministry. He's been in this backwater of Nazareth and now is his time. His time has come. And he's heard John the Baptist preaching and he's about to take on the mantle of his mission to go and bring the good news of the kingdom of god how is he going to bring that is a good question and this is what jesus is praying for praying for strength and insight and revelation from god he's fasting and praying and meditating as he contemplates the mission that lies ahead of him perhaps he's asking the question how am i going to do this work how am I going to bring the kingdom of God the reign of God the alternative upside down arrangement and government of God to earth how am I going to do this we spend 40 40 days and nights in the wilderness which is an incredibly long time in preparation for his ministry and at the end of the 40 days he experiences three great temptations by the devil by the tempter and so the temptation of Jesus is about three things. It's about bread, circus, empire. Keep those things in mind. Bread, circus, empire. The three temptations of Jesus. We're going to take three weeks to explore these three temptations. So today, bread, the first temptation very quickly firstly Jesus goes into the wilderness that's the first setup to the whole story he goes into the wilderness and this going into the wilderness for 40 days draws a parallel with the story of the nation of Israel they went into the wilderness in the wilderness of Sinai for 40 years after escaping Egypt um, i don't know if you've been to to a desert. I've been to the Syrian desert. I spent some time in Syria. I've talked about that before in 2004. You can get uh, an image of me sitting in a monastery um, overlooking the Syrian desert. There I am. And I got to stay in a Christian monastery in the desert overnight. I got to eat with Bedouins and camped out around fires in the darkest, coldest, most inhabitable um, place that I've really ever been and yet life was there. And I remember thinking as I was there in the Syrian desert in the darkness, I remember thinking about the people of Israel who had been in the wilderness for 40 years hoping to be brought to the promised land. The story of Israel in the wilderness is one of failure. It's a story of being tested over and over and over and giving in to temptations while en route to the promised land. Thankfully, in Matthew 4, we see this parallel with Jesus entering the wilderness, entering the desert for 40 days. Mm -hmm. And Robert Gundry says this, the parallel, thankfully, has only to do with the temptations, but not the outcomes. For where Israel failed their test, by yielding to temptation, Jesus will pass his test by resisting the temptation. So the wilderness, we have this parallel with the story of Israel. And Jesus is paralleling that. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Secondly, we have this character in the story, the devil, the tempter, Satan. This, in a sense, isn't the, the red creature with pitchfork and horns playing a game of deal or no deal with Jesus. It's much more than that satirical parody that we see in modern day culture. We can speculate just how the devil came to Jesus, of course, as is the creature that walked up to Jesus and spoke to him and talked to him I mean maybe yes it's the way that it's often depicted in religious art but then again how else would you depict the tempter the satan the devil interestingly in the in the movie the last days of the uh, last days in the desert starring Hugh McGregor as Jesus they frame the tempter and the temptations in much more of a mental battle, much more about the dark thoughts that enter the mind, much more of an invisible spiritual reality than, in a sense, a character, especially at the point of Jesus' extreme hunger. So in a sense, I suppose, much like the tempter um, can come to Jesus, the tempter can come to you and me deep in our own thinking, subtle, deceitful, disguised as a good idea, for the rest of our series, I'll use the personified language like scripture, but we can think of it in, the, in these other ways if it is more helpful for us to do so. Whatever way we think about it, here is the truth. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. He's really being tempted by the tempter, like any human would be. And when we recognize the reality of the temptation, What we see is Jesus in his full humanity. There is much for us to learn here. As I've said, the very first temptation was about bread. At the end of the 40 days of fasting, the devil tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread. He he, he references if you're God's son, which is a little bit of a flashback to that, that sort of Promise that affirmation of the father spoken over Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. We're in the wilderness and the tempter, he questions this, he says, if you're God's son, he's, he's tempting Jesus, not necessarily to, devote, to, to doubt his divinity, to doubt his relationship to the father as his son, mm-hmm. but the, the tempter is perhaps tempting Jesus to use this his own advantage. Jesus, you're hungry. Look at these stones. Turn them to bread. We've got to remember that Jesus is at his edge. He's at his limit. He's hungry after 40 days without food. What is going on in this first temptation? There's much more that is going on here than just immediate hunger. The temptation here for Christ is all to do with how he might bring his mission to bear how he might bring the kingdom of God to earth and the temptation here is indeed tempting Christ to meet immediate material physical needs to be what people need or uh, what the people need Jesus recognizes this immediately and he quotes this scripture from Deuteronomy that man shall not live by bread alone but by the word that comes from the mouth of God Hunger is really important. Immediate needs are really important. But focus on those alone is not enough. And Jesus knew this. He knew this. Bread, it's a good idea. Eating, it's a good idea. But the idea that this is all that man needs for a meaningful existence, it's not enough. The human soul cannot Cope with that. The human soul will collapse if this is all we need. We need so much more if we are to be satisfied. And Jesus knew this. In a sense, we need the word of God to feed our hunger. We need God feeding our souls, nourishing our souls to bring us life. Jesus knew this. And in this encounter, we see him resisting the temptation to become a Messiah that would simply meet people's needs, turning stones into bread, using his status and power in that way. Blaise Pascal said this, that there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of man. G.K. Chesterton said this, the man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. There are these deep longings in our heart, in our souls, that only only communion with the living God can satisfy. Seeking to have these longings and desires met with material and felt needs is not enough. We need the words of God to meet our appetites. We need the words of God to nourish our souls It wasn't enough for Jesus to simply meet the needs of the world, the love your neighbor as yourself, so to speak, but to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There is a a kingdom vision uh, with a king in that kingdom here. It wasn't going to be one way or the other. It wasn't going to be according to the ways of the world, meeting immediate needs, material needs alone. It wasn't just going to be social justice projects alone. It was going to be this all-encompassing worship project bringing bringing satisfaction to the deepest hungers and longings of the human soul. And today, no matter where we're at this morning, it's the same for us. We, We need more than the material provision around us. We need more than bread alone. We can't just survive upon the kingdom without the King and the nourishment that comes from communion with our Creator. It simply cannot be done. It's not the way of Jesus. We're depriving ourselves in that sense. We need connection restored with our Creator. We need our relationship with the Father restored and the Father's presence in our lives, like we've been singing about this morning, that rivers will flow and and bring bloom and bring life to the arid rugged wilderness we need this in our lives we're made for it these hungers and desires are made to be satisfied in the love of god here's an here's an exercise uh, for us this morning Before I get to that, let me read this quote from Brian Zahn. It says, The biblical case for the love of God is love of neighbor. And the biblical case for the love of neighbor is love of enemy. But it all begins with the love of God. The church is more than a social charity or enterprise. It is more than just a social club or a clubhouse. (laughs) We are the people of God with a love of God. Our priority is 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 the word of God the love of God communion with our creator nourishing on the words of the creator God alone and Jesus knew this I have an exercise for us this morning to think about that phrase that Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone what if we put a blank in there man shall not live by blank alone fill the blank what has the tempter put into your mind that you go in the blank there what would, what would what, what has been put in in your mind to fill there what what goes into our minds what tempts us to with the promise that it's going to bring us full nourishment and satisfaction of our longings is it, is it those those things that we say a lot money and comfortable living and solid job decent salary is it man shall not live by good theology alone man shall not live by community alone man shall not live by good career options alone or by political agenda alone man shall not live by vaccine alone by lockdown free life alone fill in the blank what is the temptation that can often just we can put all our hopes in and it's not enough for us fill in the blank some ideas are are good ideas But they're not enough for our souls. And Jesus knew this. There is a deep longing in all of us to be in relationship with our creator God and to worship him in the fullness of his presence, filled by the Holy Spirit. There's an invitation, maybe this Lenten season, to take up the invitation to draw close to Christ by doing what he has said in this first encounter, by meditating on the word of God, by meditating on the words of God, by nourishing our souls on the words of God. Is your soul satisfied today? Does your soul, does your inner world feel like a place of blooming life? Does it feel like an arid wilderness? Where would you identify Redeemer, we're a Jesus community and we're beginning this series, Encounters with Jesus, not just because we're looking at the stories from the Gospels, but because we believe in encounter with Jesus. We believe that here and now today that we can encounter the living Christ. We can center our lives around the reality of the living Christ, that Christ can be the life-giving source at the heart of our spiritual lives. I think we can follow the example of the psalm writer in Psalm 103 by calling on our own souls to find our satisfaction and our trust in God, to to nourish our souls on the bread of heaven. The psalm writer in Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the nourishment that we can get from the words of God, the promises of God, who he says he is and who he is for us. If you're like me and you're tired today, you're weary of this lockdown that we're in, the way that life is in these days, if you're uncertain about the future, about what life beyond lockdown is actually going to look like and the reality of that, the pressures of that, the impact of that, the impact of the pandemic upon society, if you're worried about that, if you're wondering how the needs of tomorrow are going to be met, well, know this today, that God is enough. The words of God are there for us to nourish upon, to anchor our souls upon. I want to say this, that God is gracious He is compassionate. He is loving. He forgives your sins. He redeems your life. To help us, I'd love to read. I have an extended version of this psalm I'd love to lead us in. I'd love love you to wherever you are this morning, um, just to sit up straight or change your posture, I'd love to lead us by reading this psalm, over us that speaks the word of God, the truths of God, the promises of God but who he is and who he says we are and who he is for us and the hope of his good news. I'd love that to sink in to our hearts this morning to nourish us, to, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to um, bring us resolve and resilience and trust, to comfort us. I'd love to do that. And then we're going to sing. Rebecca and Stephen are going to play behind me, and they're going to lead us in a song just off the back of that. So, just as they get ready to lead us in worship, let me read the words of Psalm 103 uh, in the voice translation. And just listen to the beauty and the truth of these words Oh, my soul, come praise the eternal. With all that is in me, body, emotions, mind, and will, every part of who I am, praise his holy name. O my soul, come, praise the eternal, sing a song from a grateful heart. Sing and never forget all the good he has done. Despite all your many offenses, he forgives and releases you. More than any doctor, he heals your diseases. He reaches deep into the pit to deliver you from death. He crowns you with an unfailing love and compassion like a king. When your soul is famished and withering, he fills you with good and beautiful things, satisfying you as long as you live. He makes you strong like an eagle, restoring your youth. When people are crushed, wronged, enslaved the the eternal is just he makes the wrongs right he showed Moses his ways he allowed his people Israel to see his wonders and acts of power the Lord is compassionate and merciful when we cross all the lines he is patient with us when we struggle against him he lovingly stays with us He stays with us, changing, convicting, prodding. He will not constantly criticize, nor will he hold a grudge forever. Thankfully, God does not punish us for our sins as we deserve. In his mercy, he tempers justice with peace. Amen. Mercy, how high heaven is above earth. God's wide, loving, kind heart is greater for those who revere him. You see, God takes all our crimes, our seemingly inexhaustible sins, and removes them. As far as the east is from the west, he removes them from us. An earthly father expresses love for his children. It is no different with our heavenly father. The eternal shows his love for those who revere him, for he knows what they are made of. He knows our frame is frail, and he remembers we came from dust. Adore him. Give praise to him, you heavenly messengers, you powerful creatures who listen and act on his every word. Give praise to the eternal, all the armies of heaven, you servants who stand ready to do his will. Give praise to the eternal, all that he has made in all corners of his creation. Oh, my soul, come praise the eternal. Amen. I love those words from Psalm 103. And if you want to read those later, they're in the voice translation. Beautiful words of truth that help to bring us hope and healing. Remember, the kingdom is not without a king. That we cannot live in the kingdom without the king, we live by God, his words to feed us, to nourish us, and we worship him. We need the Lord and we need a love for him. And today the Lord is so gracious to us to come to us wherever we're at, wherever we are at. The good news today is that Jesus did not come to cooperate with the modern notion of merely meeting those material needs. But he resisted that temptation and he invites us to nourish this morning on the promises of God, on the goodness of God, on the grace of God we're going to sing now. I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Stephen. They're going to lead us in a song called Promises as we think about the great promises of God and we help nourish our souls on the truth of these promises.